So hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles, and today we're going to be covering project development and documentation, uh, or PDD. That's two Ds with one P. It drives me crazy that they designed this system yeah. to have a PPD and a PDD. Like it just seems <laughs> like there is other letters in the world that could have come up Honestly. with a way to make this less confusing for everybody. Yeah. But there you go. Okay, so uh, so today we're going to use a mock exam, and we're going to cover a variety of topics uh, in this particular division of the ARE. Um, during this episode, we're going to share the answers to the mock exam and, dis and discuss some of the specifics as to why the answer is correct. Um, and then as we go through this review, it's going to help you prepare uh, sort of how to think through the ARE question. So you'll have, you know, some practice and gain a little confidence uh, as you, um, you know, um, think about taking the, the test. Now, if you go along and if you have questions, uh, I'd encourage you to post them on our uh, ARE community. So if you go to community.blackspectacles.com, uh, you can post any questions that you might have there. And we have folks um, who are engaged in that community who can answer your question. Um, so I'd encourage you to go to community.blackspectacles.com to post your questions there. Uh, in our next ARE Live broadcast, uh, we're gonna discuss how to remove diversity obstacles on the path to licensure um, with a number of people, including Jason Pugh, uh, Midwest Region Vice President of the National Association of Minority Architects. Uh, that's on February 27th. Um, so uh, we'll drop a link here. Of course, you can also go to our website to register for that. It should be a great uh, session. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, um, Black Spectacles is the first ever NCARB approved test prep provider for all six of the ARE 5.0 divisions. Um, and we have a variety of plan levels and durations, uh, you know, to find a membership that best suits your needs. Um, over the last, I think, you know, three weeks maybe, um, we launched uh, the, our first online forum, uh, which we're calling the ARE community. Um, in our communities, for those uh, of you who've got questions about the material on the ARE, it's a really great place. We have a lot of folks um, who've got their eyes on the community and who are uh, providing responses uh, to lots of different questions. It's also a good place to network with other architects. Um, and, uh, and share your knowledge. So if you're knowledgeable on certain topics, it's a great place to share that um, and your experience to aid others on their journey to licensure. Um, and one of our favorite features uh, or traditions almost that we've started is um, at the beginning of the week on Monday, uh, we post a five question practice quiz um, that you can take for free. Um, it's at the top of the community every, uh, every week. Um, it's a great way to keep your skills sharp and, and kind of keep you motivated and moving along um, uh, through your studies. So you can, uh, you can if, you're not, if you're already a Black Spectacles member, you can just go to the community.blackspectacles.com. Um, if not, you just, you create a quick account and then you can go there and you can post questions. So I uh, certainly encourage you guys to check that out. And lastly, as I always like to say, if you'd like your boss to pay for your Black Spectacles membership, be sure to tell them about our firm licenses. Whether you work at a 10-person or 10,000-person firm, we have licenses that can work for all different sizes. So go to blackspectacles.com slash firm uh, to, uh, to learn more about that. We also just dropped uh, that link uh, in the chat box. And today, uh, we have a special discount on Black Spectacles individual memberships to share, uh, and I'll provide that coupon code at the end of the show, so stay tuned. Um, for our giveaway today, we're doing something a little bit different. Now that we have this community, well, we're going to use it. Um, so normally, well, instead of what we usually do, uh, uh, what we're asking this time around is go to our community page, um, and that's where you found the mock exam this time around. 
Uh, and so what we'd like you to do is uh, in the comments, post the question that you had the most difficulty with, your answer and how you arrived at, at that answer. Um, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick someone randomly from that group of people who post. So go there right now, community.blackspectacles.com. Laura, who's our community manager, she actually just you know, pinned that to the top of the page, so it should be easy to find. And just write in and tell us what uh, tell us what you struggled with or what was the hardest one. And uh, we'll and uh, and as I said, we'll uh, give a free T-shirt to the person who um, who's randomly selected from that list uh, today. Now, if you don't know our guest, Mr. Mike Newman, he's a senior lecturer at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he's our instructor for Black Spectacles Online ARE exam prep lectures. Thank you for joining us today, Mike. Um, as always, we'll be taking uh, questions during our live session today using the GoToWebinar question box. Um, and so with that, I'll hand it over to you, Mike. All right, let's, uh, let's jump right in. Um, as, uh, as Mark said, we're, we're doing the PDD, the Project Development Documentation, and uh, this is that sort of point along the process, if you will, where you've you've gone past schematic design, you've gone kind of past the design development, and now you're really talking about that kind of uh, CDs, getting ready for uh, bids and permits and things like that, kind of uh, you, you, you've already made some of your design decisions, and now you're trying to make it uh, sort of detailed and understandable for bidding and all that purpose. Um, so the kind of tone of the questions ends up being a little more specific um, and a little less designy um, for the most part. So let's just jump in and uh, see what we got. Okay, so this first one, the design team is detailing the wall systems for a classroom space. There is a concern regarding acoustic issues. Which of the following wall types will have the highest STC rating? So first thing I want to mention is uh, the STC rating, which is the uh, sound transmission class, um, is talking about the key thing there on STC is going to be the T, which is the transmission part. So what that's saying is it's all about like sound going from one room to another room, which you could imagine in a kind of classroom setting would be important. You have one class where they're making a bunch of noise doing a project and you have a, another class where they're trying to take a test. You're worried about uh, the, the transmission of sound going through those wall assemblies. Uh, and so you would be very nervous about the STC rating. Another sort of issue you would probably be worried about would be the NRC. So NRC, which is another sound issue. Uh, in that case, the R, which is the noise reduction coefficient. So the big word here on that one is the reduction. So that one's talking about the sound inside a space, not talking about it transmitting from one space to another, but the sound inside a space. Both of these issues would be important issues in a classroom setting. And the reason that the noise reduction in a classroom setting would be so important is you wouldn't want a really lively sound in a classroom where the sound is bouncing really uh, harshly. Like imagine you made a classroom made out of glass a lecturer would be talking and the sound would just be echoing through and it'd be garbled for everybody. So you'd want to have surfaces that can absorb and reduce some of that sound. So a huge issue on something like this would be the NRC, but the other big one is the STC, the sound transmission uh, class. And so it's all about sound moving from one side to another. 
Uh, in this case, we're talking about wall assemblies, but it could be uh, through floor assemblies, it could be through doors. Uh, you can talk about SDC ratings and windows and all sorts of different things. So uh, sound is gonna trans transfer through a bunch of very easy ways. So like if you uh, have a window opening in the wall and you have the window open, well, obviously the sound will go through that. If you have just sort of a poorly constructed wall and there's a lot of gaps between say the drywall and the floor, well, that gap is like a window opening and the sound will go right through there. So there's a bunch of sort of simple ways that sound transmissions transmits from one side to another. But then there's a bunch of more complicated ways. And one example would be uh, in uh, wall assembly, if you sort of imagine you have a wall and you've got somebody, let's say this is me speaking over here. And so I am speaking and the sounds are going up against that wall. Uh, the wall board, the drywall is gonna reverberate from those, uh, it's gonna have vibrations from those sound waves. And that reverberation in that wall board is going to make the studs reverberate and then that's gonna make the wallboard on the other side vibrate. Uh, and then that's gonna send sound across on the other side. So it's this weird level of transmission that's beyond just the fact that there's holes in the walls or anything like that. It's actually this sort of combination of sound waves and vibrations that will send, uh, send sound waves through. And so there's a couple different things that you wanna think about from a sound transmission standpoint. One is, can I stop some of that vibration? Uh, the other is, uh, if I use sort of dense materials in specific ways, can I deaden some of the, the sort of process of the transmission of that? And so there's a couple different ways you can start to think about those things and how you start combining them together. One important thing to realize is that sound is really tricky, A, and B, you will never win the game of sound uh, unless you are spending you know, enormous amounts of money and have highly paid specialists coming in because you're doing a, a symphony hall or something like that. There is always going to be sound from classroom A to classroom B. You're just not gonna be able to stop it all without spending an enormous fortune. The trick is you're looking, and this is what the SDC is all about, is you're looking to stop the most annoying sound, which, you know, if you think about it, like, what's the most annoying sound? What does that mean? Well, you might think it's really high sounds or really low sounds. It's actually the sound where a human voice is. Uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to deaden as much of the sound of the human voice, making it from one room to the other, because uh, that's the one that's going to catch people's imagination. Like, if you're sitting in one classroom and you can hear the lecture in the classroom next door, it's really hard not to just listen to it. So. Uh, the STC, all about transmission of sound. Uh, in many ways, you'll see that it's really about sort of the, the keeping the vibrating materials separated from each other as much as possible. So let's take a quick look at uh, these different wall types. The first one is a very straightforward. Uh, there's a metal stud um, at 16 inches. There's a, a drywall on each side, five eighths inch drywall, but there's also a half inch resilient channel so what's a resilient channel? Resilient channel is uh, a small uh, sort of metal, uh, kind of like a small stud, if you will, a small metal stud that goes horizontally across from stud to stud. Uh, and it essentially becomes a little spring. And the idea is that as that reverberation happens on the jip board, as on the wall board, it uh, reverberates and that little bit of resilient channel can sort of absorb some of that 
vibration so it doesn't pass as much vibration through to the studs and then to uh, the ball board on the other side so it can slow that process so that's a good thing from a sound transmission standpoint so from the resilient channel that's much better uh, than just uh, wall board on the side of two uh, side of studs wall board wall, wall type b um, we've got uh, no resilient channel but now we have double studs uh i mean excuse me double uh, wall board on both sides so we have two layers of five eighths on both sides uh which is going to be a denser material on the outside that's a good thing having the dense material on the outside of the of the cavity that's going to help uh so that's actually uh, those two are pretty close but the second one b is actually a little bit better um but uh when we really start moving along we get into the ones where we're now we're doing two separate uh, stud lines as one wall assembly. And the obvious reason for this is that there's a huge advantage. If I can separate those two studs, it makes it harder for that vibration to kind of go from the wall board into the stud. Uh, it has to then make a leap across to the other stud before it can get to the far wall board. So it's a big advantage in terms of slowing down that vibration. Uh, now, an important thing to remember is the floor is still going through from one side to the other. So it's not like you're, you know, uh, cheating the system here. Uh, the, the sound will figure out other ways to get there, but it will help. So both of these last two are going to be better than either of the first two. Um, and then here comes the weird thing. Uh, the actual answer here is type C, which doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, that's where I've got one layer on the outside uh, of each side. Um, and you'd think with the other one, which has more layers of drywall, uh, that that would be better, that D would be better. Um, but in fact, those little layers create a situation where it allow the sound waves to find material to vibrate with and uh, keeps the vibration moving through. Uh, it also reduces the, the um, space the bigger cavity allows for a uh, sort of capturing, if you will, a bigger sound wave. Um, so weirdly, C is the correct answer. However, uh, for those of you who are sort of uh, fighting at home for, uh, for getting this right, uh, I'm actually going to accept D as well for the moment. I was doing a little research uh, over the weekend, or excuse me, over the, this morning. Uh, and uh, I found a couple of resources, USG and another one, uh, that used uh, different ways of thinking about how the materials were assembled and their numbers, their STC ratings were much, much closer than the other one that I'd originally been using, which is stcrating.com. Uh, so uh, it's a little bit more confusing depending on who you're looking at. So we'll accept D as well as a reasonable answer, but uh, the, the sort of true answer here is wall type C. So that was a lot of information about sound transmitting. But yeah, that's I think right. You, uh, you guys got a full dose you get there. the idea there. Yeah, if you guys struggle with that question, love to get any feedback uh, or any um, uh, yeah any 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 thoughts. And it, uh, it's in the, not in the community. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a great place to to feedback to. Um, it's not that STC ratings are the most important thing in the world. Um, it's just that uh, it's a easy kind of question to be able to be asked. And it's a useful thing. It's an important thing to clients. Uh, so it's uh, it's just one of those things that shows up a lot. Um, that kind of uh, issue shows up a lot in the, on the exam. And you should absolutely, there's lots of resources out there, USGs, uh, 
uh, lots of other manufacturers have uh, very good uh, online resources to just to sort of go through. You don't have to memorize all the STC ratings or anything like that, but you should have a sense of how they work and the, the impact of one choice over another. One of the things I'm noticing, a lot of people are asking a lot of questions here. Uh, it might not be a bad idea to throw some of them into the community um, and we can we probably won't be able to ca catch all of them so maybe uh, maybe we could try throwing some of them uh, in there and then we can kind of tackle them as we go along sounds good cool okay so move along yeah please number uh, number two uh, there's concern that bids will be over budget uh, you the architect should probably consider using what tactics in the bid package you choose three um, so there's a, a couple ones in here that are definitely not true. Um, so I'll, I'll just call a few out. One is uh, F, uh, using uh, AIA form G704, uh, suspend the project until the owner has appropriate finances. Really, that's just not your call. Um, you don't get to say to the owner, project is suspended. So that's not something that's reasonable. Um, and also G704 is about substantial completion. So it's just sort of wrong from multiple standpoints. So I'm gonna say no to, uh, to F. Um, and then the other one, uh, submit the RFI, and this is C, uh, submit the RFI to the funder and the banker. Um, you don't really, that's not the terminology that you would do. You wouldn't even really ask a banker questions. You would ask the owner questions who would then ask the banker. Um, so it's just not a reasonable answer. So the other uh, four are all sort of reasonable answers. And then the question is, which are the three best of them? Uh, and one is include add, al uh, include add alternates. So what that's talking about is for the bid package. So if you're at the end of uh, the CD phase, you're put together your construction documents, uh, your, uh, your contract documents, and uh, you are getting material uh, ready to go for permit and also for bidding. So you're putting together the bid package and what the ad alternates is talking about is you're worried that you're gonna be going over budget. So you in the bid package, you essentially say, all right, here's the baseline of what we absolutely need to build, but then we also might be able to build this other thing that's included in the drawings let's say uh, built-in furniture or uh, special cool ceiling uh, system or something like that. And then you could put those in as add alternates. Uh, and then when you get the numbers back from all of your bidders, you'll get the base number and then a number for each of the add alternates. And it becomes a way that you and the owner can sit down and go through and say, uh, all right, the numbers did come in high. I guess we can't do any of those special things. We'll just have to go with the base or yeah, hey, our numbers worked out. We can get most of the ads that we wanted. Um, and so it's a way of sort of controlling the flow of information so that you're not just at the whimsy of what information the uh, bidders want to send to you. You're actually controlling that so you get really uh, apples to apples and useful information that you can compare from one bidder to another but in that context of worrying about going over. A similar one is going to be uh, request the unit cost information for specific materials. Um, this is actually seems a little odd, it seems sort of weirdly specific, but this is one of those things when you're worried about cost overruns uh, on, the, on the bid process, this is one of those simple ways, you have to be a little careful not to overdo it, but for example, let's say you, uh, you're doing a school or something and you want to do a terrazzo floor. Well, terrazzo floors are fantastic and they'll last forever and 
they're really durable and great for that kind of thing. It's like, it'd be an awesome thing to do, but they're also expensive. So you might say, all right, uh, our baseline is gonna be a terrazzo floor, but also give us a square foot number for uh, vinyl tile or something, right? Or maybe you do it the other way. Maybe our baseline is vinyl tile, but then give us a square foot number for the other. So that way, when the information comes in, you can say, all right, well, here's the project, but really we can't afford the, uh, the terrazzo floor, but you don't have to then rebid the entire project out in order to get the new number. You now have, you've, you've asked the bidders to give you enough information that you can swap pieces of information in and out uh, to sort of fine tune that bid. Uh, it's a great way to do it. If you ask for too many things, then the bidders are gonna start being a little skeptical about the whole process and they're gonna not wanna uh, answer anything. So if you have a list of, you know, please provide us with these 100 different materials, that's, that's too many. If you have, uh, you know, five or 10 or something like that that are really meaningful, it could be linear feet of a certain kind of wall type, it could be square footage of a certain material, like one roofing material versus another, uh, any number of different unit systems for uh, thinking about those things. It's a, it's a great way to be able to control uh, the bid package, uh, how much money you can negotiate. So then we're down to A and E. Um, and I think both of them are plausible. I would definitely go for E, uh, which is uh, review bidder qualifications to ensure the inclusion of bidders with experience at cost efficiency. You have to remember that the bid package and that whole process is actually, uh, there's a whole process about bid qualifications. You're gonna get quite a wide range of bidders. You may want bidders that don't have a lot of uh, experience with efficiency because maybe they bring something else. Maybe they bring, uh, certain kinds of connections to the city, or maybe they bring uh, a sort of fast-paced, or or they're you know easy to work with, or something like that. But if you're worried about cost, you would want to make sure there's somebody in there who's well known for uh, making those costs uh, work. So important roles for the architect at that bid package collection information moment, uh, and it's always important to remember that the bid package, the bid letter, the, the thing, you're not just sending drawings out, you're, you're designing the system about how the information is going to come back in order to make it the most useful uh, as possible for you and the owner to be able to discuss through. Okay. Uh, all right, number three, this is sort of a little uh, bit of a detail one, but uh, I put this in here because I just want to encourage people to uh, look at some of the base information about the materials, because you'll find that it's uh, an easy source of questions, uh, and it's a, a good way to sort of think about, and the reason it's an easy source of questions is because it, it touches on um, materials and systems but also on people and durability and sustainability. And so it's a sort of easy way to kind of uh, talk about multiple issues in one simple question. Uh, so in this question, which of the following cuts from the same log would produce flooring with the best wearing characteristics? So in other words, be the most durable. Uh, they would wear the best. It wouldn't uh, wear down easily. And our four choices are quarter sawn, plain sawn, rotary sawn, and uh, uh, half round sawn. Rotary sawn and half round sawn are both kind of interesting possibilities, but those are neither uh, neither really reasonable um, in this context. The real question is really plain sawn versus quarter sawn. 
uh, and I'm not going to go into a long thing about it, but uh, a real quick version of these two is uh, if you're doing quarter sawn, you divide it into quarters, uh, hence quarter sawn, and then you're cutting out all those different pieces of wood, uh, and you do that out of each of the quarters, um, and then plain sawn, I'm just going through and cutting it up so I get lots of different pieces. Uh, it's much simpler, it's much easier, it's much faster. Uh, so plain sawn is the cheaper way to go. Quarter sawn is much more expensive and wastes a little bit. But uh, the big advantage of quarter sawn, which is going to be the correct answer here, the big advantage of quarter sawn is if I choose any one of those pieces and we sort of look at it up close, when you think about how the rings are working as it goes through, the rings are all going to be roughly equal to each other as you look at the cross section of that wood. So if I looked at the grain pattern on the wood, it's going to be essentially straight lines coming down. Uh, and those straight lines, the darker parts are the hard parts of the wood, the lighter parts are the softer parts of the wood, and because it's nice and even, you're going to get a really even wearing and it's going to be much, much stronger. Uh, and so if the issue is the wearing characteristics, then quarter sawn is absolutely the answer. There are going to be plenty of times, though, where the, where the, the look, the grain look, will have what's called cathedraling. This is in the plain sawn. Um, so you'll see that kind of grain look. And there's plenty of people who love that kind of high grain, kind of high, uh, very character filled look. Uh, and so if the question was about that, well, then the plain sawn might be the right answer. In this case, the question is about durability. And I use this question again, it's a kind of a detailed piece, but the, the idea is to sort of say, you know, just have a feel for different materials. We could have similar conversations about aluminum versus steel in certain situations and one rusts and one corrodes in a different way. And like just sort of understanding those materials and sort of having opinions about where you would use one and, and uh, not use one, that kind of thing. Getting some interesting comments on the community here. One thing I'll, I'll, that's making me think of is uh, one of the things we've learned over here is that a great way to reinforce your learning and sort of your own thinking and knowledge is actually to like write it out, you know, so like Absolutely. take notes and it helps you kind of like, um, it helps, uh, you know, uh, reinforce the thinking that that's going on in your brain. So uh, I appreciate the folks who've already posted uh, and would encourage the rest of you to do so, especially on this one uh, about the uh, about the wood flooring. That's a good one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the key on those things, writing it out, the other thing that I found was really useful for me was uh, I would find photographs, uh, oh, you know, yeah. like go through books or something and, or, you know, on websites and find an interesting photograph. But then the key part is you don't just look at the photograph, you actually draw on top of the photograph. Well, that's a good idea. And it, you sort of say, all right, so here's the cut, where's the grain? And you draw the grain in and suddenly the photograph, like the problem with photographs is that they look sort of interesting and beautiful and it just sort of wash over you and all right, yeah, that's cool. Look, it's a photo of some wood, you know, that great. But when you start drawing on top of it, you suddenly start analyzing it and it stays in your brain much yep. more clearly. Yep. Uh, it's a great simple way of doing it. Um, uh, so I highly recommend yeah, that. But yeah, those kinds of little tricks of 
getting out of just letting it be passive and making it more active, you're much yeah. more likely uh, to really think of it in an analysis sort of way. Yeah, actually, that, that, that might be a good provocation here. Uh, it'd be great if someone could post, uh, you know, maybe grab a, uh, an image or something from, from Google um, for that quarter song. Be cool to cool to see that and post it on the community for everyone to see. Yeah, and, and the other ones that I sort of dismissed sort of quickly, the rotary song and other things, those have other uses, right? You're yeah. making plywoods and you're making, you know, all sorts of other other things, and you can start suddenly you start understanding well why you alternate the ply directions and things like that once yeah. you start seeing the the physicality of the log as part of that process. Yeah, Edward posted. Uh, he asked a question uh, here. I said, what about riffs on? Uh, I don't know, Edward. Let's let's see it. Yeah, yeah. Riff song <laughs> would be another possibility. Um, I would still go with the quarter song, uh, but yeah, it's a, 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 another good one to look up. Okay, I'm going to move on. Uh, number four. What might I find in the air gap of a brick veneer wall? Um, so this is kind of an odd question, uh, just the way it's written here. Uh, but uh, I can guarantee you there's going to be a question kind of like this. Uh, because this is such a sort of key uh, sort of thought about like uh, how do we, um, if you have a brick veneer wall, so that means there's one width of brick on the outside, there's an air gap, uh, and then there's a backup structure. That backup structure could be uh, CMU, it could be metal stud, it could be wood stud, um, but the, the structure is a separate element with this air gap in between. So um, uh, let's see here we could sort of easily imagine, what should we do? How about a CMU backup? So I'm just gonna draw this out a little bit here. So there's our foundation wall. It's got some rebar in it somewhere. We've got a slab here, we got a little fibrous fillers there. We've got the CMU backup. And then out here, I've got a bunch of bricks, which are hopefully built better than I'm drawing. Yeah, those are something. <laughs> uh, My kid's a, Legos look better than that. That is a terrible, terrible brick <laughs> wall. So uh, somebody's getting fired uh, from, from that process. Uh, so I've got this white, this veneer, uh, that's this outside layer. Um, you remember that if you're using sort of regular bricks, um, there's lots of different brick types, but uh, probably about 60% of the bricks out there are going to be sort of these regular sized bricks. I'm, I'm being careful about not saying standard because standard is actually a particular size of brick. But uh, these sort of regular bricks, um, you're going to have three bricks uh, will add up to eight inches, and therefore uh, they'll be the ability to have uh, ties that go straight across uh, at those every, uh, say, 16 inches or every 24 inches, depending on uh, what you're doing. Um, so the, the size of the bricks is aligned. And then we have this great big space here. Uh, and there's going to be various things that we're going to be able to sort of put in here. Uh, one is the metal ties, which I just drew in there. So we know that A is a correct answer. Uh, that's in the air gap space, which is right there. Uh, the other thing that's going to be in there most likely is going to be insulation. I'm going to have some rigid insulation uh, right there. Uh, 
and that rigid insulation is going to be sized so that it fits between the ties. Uh, I'm then going to have uh, probably uh, a house wrap, an air barrier kind of uh, thing. Uh, so that'll be layered on. Um, I'm going to have uh, some flashing that's going to come down. Um, there's a lot of different ways I might do that, but there'll be some what's referred to as through wall flashing. Uh, and the whole point of this whole process here is that uh, uh, any water, if you imagine you get rain and all that stuff, it's soaking up this outside face of the brick. Uh, and the brick is relatively porous. And so that moisture is going soaking all the way through. And if you had a solid wall, then potentially it can soak all the way to the inside and start damaging elements on the inside. Uh, but because you have this air gap, the water will collect on the uh, air gap side of the uh, of that brick veneer, and then it'll eventually drip down to the bottom, and then the flashing will force it to the outside because we're going to leave some weep holes down at the bottom, some holes that allow that water to get out. Uh, so that's the whole point of what's going on. You should be able to draw this uh, in your sleep um, because there's going to be a question and maybe it's a drag and drop or something like that where you'll be asked to put these ties in or to put the uh, flashing in or at a lintel, you know, where the flashing would go at a lintel, something. This kind of wall system is bound to show up. So I just want to make sure that we had a chance to say, uh, you know, feel comfortable with it. Lots of other wall systems too, but definitely this one. So we've got a couple of answers here. Uh, next one I'm going to say is the rigid insulation. So that was the, that right there. And then the flashing were the three. So the word wythe uh, is a useful word. What that's referring to is one line of masonry. So the veneer, uh, that veneer line right there is one wythe of brick. And that uh, CMU line right there is one wythe of CMU concrete masonry unit. Efflorescence is when the brick that once it gets soaked, uh, and then the air starts to evaporate the, uh, the moisture back out. Well, when the moisture got into that brick, it's, it absorbed all of the salts that are naturally in the clay. And then when it evaporates away, it leaves the salts on the surface, um, salts and other minerals. Um, and so you get that white dusty stuff on the surface, that's uh, efflorescence, uh, but doesn't apply in, in this question. Um, uh, and you wouldn't use blown in cellul cellulose in the cavity because then you'd lose the cavity. You need the air gap in order to allow that space for the water to flow down. So that's why the other three, even though they're uh, plausible in many ways to be part of the wall section, they're not part of this uh, answer of this question. All right. Number five, uh, finalizing the window schedule, the skylight glass should be. Um, this, you know, when you talk about uh, glass, uh, there are lots and lots of different choices. Uh, there's all sorts of different uh, add-ons. There's, there's a whole big wide range of, of possibilities. However, given the four choices we have, there's really on, only one way you could answer this. Uh, and that the skylight glass is gonna want to be laminated. Okay, so why? So first of all, laminated glass is when I have many layers of glass. 
So I'm zoomed way in. Um, and in between each layer, I've got a little bit of a, like, like a plastic sheet, if you will, a sticky on two sides plastic sheet that kind of glues the glass together. Uh, and so the overall might be, say, a quarter inch thick or something like that, but it might be made out of, say, three layers of glass with two layers of plastic uh, in the in-between spaces or more layers, uh, depending on how important the situation is or how, uh, how durable you need it. Um, and the reason that we want to use the uh, uh, laminated glass in a skylight, remember, this is a very specific question. It's about a skylight is because if something happens, let's say somebody's playing baseball next door and the ball goes up on the roof and smash, it breaks the skylight. The last thing you want is big shards of glass falling down from a 20-foot ceiling uh, onto the floor below where people are sitting unsuspecting. Um, uh, so you want it to sort of hold together as much as possible. One of the reasons that those, uh, those layers of uh, plastic, um, clear plastic, but plastic uh, in between. One of the reasons those are there is the glass may break, but it'll hold it up uh, so that you have time to get people clear and safe uh, before somebody can come in and take that all the broken glass away and replace it. Uh, so skylights are almost always going to be laminated. I can't even think of a situation where it wouldn't be laminated. Uh, maybe there's situations where it wouldn't, wouldn't be, but I, I can't think of one. Um, one other thing to note, so kind of annealed glass and float glass are essentially pretty standard glass. It's just sort of two different ways of, of making glass. The tempered glass is another interesting one. You've all seen the tempered before. It's made in a really interesting way where they make it very hot and then they cool it down very, very fast. And in the process of that very fast cooling, it puts all these weird forces into the glass. You can't really see it, uh, but uh, the glass has these like forces uh, deep in it, which makes the glass very strong, but very brittle. And the brilliant thing about tempered glass is if it breaks, those forces get unleashed. And so you, instead of getting a 18 inch shard of glass that's gonna pierce through your sternum, uh, you're going to get a million little tiny pieces of glass like car glass, which is essentially tempered. Um, often glass will be both tempered and also laminated, but the key thing on this question is the laminated. So uh, let's say a glass in a glass door, right? That's going to be tempered because you, if somebody slams the door and breaks the glass, you don't want them cutting everybody up uh, as well. You want it to just sort of fall apart into little shards, little tiny, tiny shards, uh, so that it can't hurt anybody too badly. Um, so both are interesting ones. In this case, skylights, laminated glass. All right. I'm having a hard time keeping up with everyone on the community now. This is kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of interesting uh, questions here. Um, let me see if I can pull anything out of here. <clears throat> I guess interesting one here, uh, Z Peterson, uh, says so tempered glass for vertical applications and laminated for horizontal. It's no, not that simple, right? No, it's not that simple. In fact, often the laminated laminate is more of an idea. Like you can actually laminate with lots of different kinds of glass, and often laminations are actually with tempered glass, um, but not always. Um, so the the point is any place where people are going to get close and it might break. So doors, um, windows that are in stairwells. Uh, so like you imagine you're, you're 
walking down a stair and you trip on a, on a step, which uh, seems like kind of a ridiculous thing, like who trips on the step, but actually happens all the time. Um, so much of the time that the codes actually say, if you have a, a window in a stairwell or at the bottom of the stair, it's so likely that somebody might trip and fall and like go head first into the glass that that window has to be uh, made out of uh, tempered glass. So that if they do and it breaks, it's gonna break into a lot of small pieces and not be super dangerous, big giant shards. Um, but another window that's say six feet away, but not in a place where somebody's likely to bump into it, wouldn't necessarily have to be made out of tempered glass. Uh, so it's, it's more about location and proximity to people. Uh, another one would be glass that's low. Uh, like any glass that's say six inches off the floor, 12 inches off the floor, something like that. And the reason for that is because, you know, your boots are likely to kick something uh, down that low. It's hard to imagine uh, that you're going to be, it's going to be easy to break something at say five feet up in the air. Um, so down low, it's, you're going to be required to use uh, tempered glass, things like that. So it's about the relationship to people more than it is about uh, other uh, specific um, questions. I'm sure it's more complicated than that too, but that's a yeah. Good I was, was going to say I, we, I remember using laminated glass uh, to reduce sound. To yeah, reduce and it, uh, laminated glass also reduces sound. It's a uh, the the plastic uh, helps reduce that vibration moving through, um, and it's a big factor. So I did that combined, combined questions. Yeah, see? about that one in five. Very yeah. good. I'm impressed. Okay, so here's uh, we got a little bonus round here. Um, this is some fast questions. Uh, this is not a quite these next couple are not questions you're going to get on the exam because these are simple uh, straightforward questions um, but we just wanted to throw these in here as a way to sort of say hey don't forget there's other stuff you should know um, in order to answer the more complicated questions so number six bonus question number six uh, what is the actual dimension of a typical CMU block so the block is eight by eight by 16, which means that the actual dimension is seven and five eighths by seven and five eighths by 15 and five eighths. So that other three eighths is there to make space for the, uh, um, the bed joint. Uh, this would be the actual dimension and this would be the nominal. I'm in null. Uh, nominal dimension, meaning it's the named dimension, so what we call it. So it's the nominal and the actual. Uh, they are not above switching back and forth between those terms uh, just to make sure you understand that uh, that subtle difference in, in meaning. Plus, if you're ever out talking to a contractor, it's embarrassing if you don't know how big a CMU is. So it's, it's the kind of thing you should know. All right, let's move on to the next bonus one. Uh, what is the nominal dimension of an eight-foot two-by-six? Uh, note the trick here. It says nominal, not actual. Uh, so I'm trying to trick you on that one. So uh, the nominal dimension of an eight foot two by six would be eight foot. There you go. Uh, I'm not even sure I would use the multiply there. I just say eight foot two by six. That is the nominal. It's the named dimension of that. The actual dimension would be. Uh, Eight foot by one and a half by five and a half. One little thing you might notice is that when I put two by six, 
I did not put the little hash marks, meaning inch, because the two and the six are not actual inches. It's not an actual dimension, it's a name. So the two by six doesn't have the inch marks, but the one and a half by five and a half does have the inch marks because that's an actual dimension. So the uh, actual and the nominal. Um, note that the eight foot stays the same on both because it's an actual cut um of the, of the the full length that's such a good example of 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 like um <clears throat> i guess the tactics that the question writers may use and how right as you read the question like you actually you know like when i read that like i read that so fast i skip right over the word nominal i go straight to two by six yeah, i'm like there's like, a question oh, that like says one and a half, like, what is, what is, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly haha yeah, i know yeah. what they're trying to do and i skip the word nominal um this is a good example of like just you don't have to like freak out about it but just like yeah. just carefully make sure you read every word yeah like, and I just, would not. you know and and you know take quick notes on your your scratch paper or something like that right. it's more complicated you know longer longer question uh and make sure you go back to those those moments again you won't get a direct question exactly like this it's just more that it might be buried in a more complicated uh, question. True. Okay. That's very true. Uh, let's see here. Uh, number eight, uh, board feet. Okay. This is one of those weird ones. Uh, back in the day, back when I took this exam, everybody had a question about board feet. I don't know if they do it anymore. I don't know if it shows up anymore. So I just sort of put this one out there just like, so people have heard of it in case it still is on the exam. Um, uh, board feet is something you use if you're ordering like, okay, we're going to order all the wood for uh, a new house that's going to be built. So we're going to order like a train car of wood. Um, and so you're going to pay for it by board feet. It's like a system for understanding a large quantity of wood. So one board foot, uh, if you will imagine, is 12 by 12 by 1. So one inch thick, 12 by 12. So one foot by one foot by one inch thick, nominal. Um, so it's a sort of conceptual one foot square, one inch thick. So in this case, if I have two by fours uh, measuring 20, 24 feet uh, of two by fours, um, you're gonna have to sort of take my word for it. Otherwise it'll take a long time for me to go through, but I'll do a quick sketch of it. I, what I'm conceptually going to do, just so I can easily picture it in my head, is I'm going to cut that uh, 24 2 by 4 into 3, and I'm going to make it uh, 8 feet long. So this is now 8 feet, and this is now 2 inches, uh, and this is total of 12 inches, nominal. And the reason I do that is then it's 12 wide, it's eight long, so that uh, I, I have a one foot wide. Uh, it's therefore eight board feet, but it's two inches thick, so therefore it's 16 board feet. I, again, I don't know if they're gonna ask this question. It was always asked. I guess architects used to buy the wood a lot. I don't know what that was about, uh, but uh, I've never heard anybody in the last, in the field, I've never heard any architect use the word board feet in probably the last 15, 20 years. So I don't know if they'll ask that question, but there you go. If it, if it comes up, you now know what board feet is. Uh, the last one here, uh, special bonus uh, question, a square of roofing has a footprint of, 
100 square feet. Uh, so that's how you order roofing materials. Um, so if you have a thousand square foot roof, you need 10 squares. Uh, so next time you're talking to a roofer, you can sound like you're knowledgeable and uh, kind of, you know, be the cool guy on the roof who knows what he's talking about. I was going to say, I've been trying to like come up with some joke or something, but I can't come up with anything other than just to say you're, you know, make, make fun of you being old or something. That's right. I don't yeah. know what else to say. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, it's one of those weird things. Like, if you look at any of the old guidebooks, they'll all have board feet all over the place. And mm -hmm. uh, I definitely got questions about it. Uh, and like I say, I literally have not heard an architect use the term board feet in uh, 15, 20 years, something like that. So, well, here we are. We did it. <laughs> Cool. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, I thought that was really good. Uh, actually, a lot of fun to see all the posts on uh, on the community. Uh, that's been a lot of fun to kind of go back and forth with folks, as well as here on on GoToWebinar. So, uh, so thank you, Mike. Thanks for everyone who uh, who tuned in. Um, if you did not get your an your question answered um, here uh, live, definitely hop over to the community where uh, we're standing by and, and and responding to lots of different folks' uh, questions. And somebody uh, may have responded already, even to some of those questions. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, it was probably me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, our next ARE Live broadcast, we're going to discuss the topic of how to remove diversity obstacles from the pursuit of licensure. Um, so uh, I just posted a link to register in the chat box. Uh, so go to GoToWebinar uh, and, uh, and hop in the chat box, or you can just go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to sign up. Um, to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum, you can go to blackspectacles.com where you can try out any of our uh, videos. And if you want your boss to pay for your membership, be sure to visit blackspectacles.com slash firms to learn more about our firm memberships for firms of any size. And who doesn't want their boss to pay for it? Yeah, that's my I mean, favorite. It's such a good idea. Yeah, I'm a boss and they make me pay for stuff. <laughs> um, for those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE right now, use coupon code ppd 013020 pc to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE exam prep membership. Now, um, we're gonna uh, do a giveaway here uh, for uh, for a free t-shirt for all the folks who posted on our community. And so I'm gonna ask, hey Siri, I need a random number between one and 17. A random number between one and 17 is 15. All right, 15 it is, so Scott. Scott, you posted, um, I don't know your last name, Scott, but uh, you did post on our community and uh, we're very thankful for that. So uh, we will uh, be reaching out um, and we will uh, get your information and send you a free t-shirt. So thank you very much. And thanks for all of you who, who posted there as well. And then finally, tomorrow we'll email everyone a follow-up about today's live broadcast. So please let us know what you think and share any suggestions that you may have. Uh, we read every word that you guys write and to use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for tuning in. Thank you.